All right, somebody gave me this announcement before church. Mayo, lettuce, plates, cut. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> First thing, Recovery Church, Grace Life Sarasota is hosting a barbecue this Tuesday the 12th. From six to eight, if you're hungry, you should come and be here a part of that. It's gonna be a great time. The food is at 6.15, the church is at seven to eight, okay? Um, and apparently we'll have mayo, lettuce, plates, cups, napkins, and... <laughs> also yesterday, yesterday was the first, I guess it's first annual, is that what we're calling it? The first annual ladies Christmas tea. And... <clears throat> I didn't know this, but apparently this building can be turned into a beautiful banquet hall. It looked amazing. So, and it was, it was a lot of ladies here for getting together and fellowshipping. And so what it's inspired us to do, in February, we're going to have a men's tea. Well, no, we're going to, the men are going to have a chartered fishing trip in February, but you'll hear more about that. It'll be fun. But there might be tea. There's a lot going on in our church, a lot of ministries, a lot of things happening uh, with meetings every week and ministry every week and, and people fellowshipping together and reaching out to the hurting together. If you are at Grace Life and you're bored during the week, there's no excuses. There's no excuses. Okay, uh, with that in mind, we're going to have our beautiful, another beautiful Christmas um, themed sermon today about total depravity. So, <laughs> oh, also, uh, decorating the decorating team with the Nevilles here in the auditorium and Rob's team and the rest of the church. It just looks like Christmas. It looks great. So, great job. <laughs> Week number three in James. Are you ready? The title of this message is Grass Won't Live Forever. So, personal anecdotal story, for more than a decade, my lawn was 85% weeds and 15% grass. It was green, but it was nasty. So, over a year ago, my wife and I, we decided to get a real lawn. We got sprinklers and we sodded the whole yard and my neighbors all told me how impressive my new lawn was. And it was. It was, in fact, no doubt the best lawn in the neighborhood. Yeah, it was expensive. But now I had both treasure and prestige through grass. My lawn was beautiful. It was, in fact, the envy of the neighborhood. It was lush green and clean with no bugs or dog poop. That's important to tell you because I have a confession to make. One day when Laura was gone, I rolled around in it. True story. It was like I got to roll around in this and it was so fun. I had in fact through this process become a lawn Pharisee. I began to look at my neighbor's lawns with a judgmental eye, shaking my head, fix your lawn, people. Fast forward to this summer. That was brutal this summer, wasn't it? Not much rain. 
a lot of sunlight. And I found out no matter how much I watered it or fertilized it, the summer sun was withering huge big swaths of my designer lawn. <laughs> my exalted status of number one lawn was quickly gone. For a year it was better than all the others, but now it's just another yard. <laughs> well, in today's passage, James exposes the folly of putting our hope in withering grass. It's another test of our ropes of faith. <laughs> James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and let the rich in his humiliation. Those are hard words. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Amen. History. I want, to, I want you to see how we have new kingdom values. So James's readers, as I've taught you, that James is based on the Sermon on the Mount. So James's readers, first century Jewish Christians, would immediately notice two brilliant links to the Sermon on the Mount in these just three verses. And here's the first. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Lowly and poor are the same word. <clears throat> in the Beatitudes, you understand Jesus was teaching values like humility and meekness and reliance upon God were far more precious in the kingdom of God than money or status or power or self-reliance. Then there's another link that they would notice in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 21, and then verse 30. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And then to verse 30, look at this one. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? This is the direct link James's readers would have made. Oh, he's talking about the poor and the meek and treasures in heaven and treasures on earth. They knew exactly what he was referring to. This is a lesson from Jesus about self-reliance versus full reliance on God. And that's what these three verses in James are about. These clear links were signals to James' readers of where to open the Sermon on the Mount scroll right next to the letter of James. So they would have had them both open together in community as the elder of the church would read from both. That's how they would learn. Because <clears throat> they knew the Sermon on the Mount teaches how the economy in God's kingdom is a completely different economy from the way the world operates. And frankly, how religion operates. Jesus is teaching that money and wealth have temporary value. They have value, but it's temporary. But they have zero eternal heavenly value. And so with the perspective of 2,000 years of church history, these concepts Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount are not surprising, right? I'm not telling you something you don't already know. But at the time, what Jesus was saying, these concepts were a complete 
departure from the, and I used this phrase last week, remember I talked about conventional wisdom? This is a complete departure from the religious, spiritual, conventional wisdom of the first century regarding spirituality. They were the opposite of what first century Jews understood about spirituality and blessing and God's favor. And so what we see in this passage in the Sermon on the Mount and also in James is Jesus is rejecting a group called the Sadducees. This is a direct connection to the Sadducees and Jesus's first century or James's first century Christian Jewish readers would know, oh, he's ripping on the Sadducees here. The Sadducees were a dominant but very small sect comprised of wealthy priests, academics, and the politically connected. And because the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection or a life after death at all, earthly wealth and prosperity was their only way to measure spiritual success. This was their hope. Money and power became a spiritual measuring stick, if you will, of how strong your connection to God was. True story. They believed having wealth and money was evidence of God's favor on your life. You know, some Christians believe that today, and it's sickening. They were very self-reliant. This belief had worked its way into the broader Jewish society as well and became the dreaded conventional wisdom. Conversely, they believed if you're poor with no status, that indicates God is not pleased with you at all. You aren't blessed. You are, in fact, hopeless. This is what the conventional spiritual wisdom was. Jesus is flipping all of that on its head. Money has temporary benefit, but it's worthless in the kingdom of God. Jesus blew up their world. Faith in money and temporary wealth and self-reliance, none of those things will inherit the kingdom of God. Hope and faith in material Wealth is a sign that your soul is actually corrupt, full of arrogance, self-reliance, and your, your remedy is humiliation. You need to be humiliated. You need to seek treasure that doesn't rust, that doesn't corrupt, so your soul will not suffer the cancer of self-reliance. You need a faith that enables you to be totally reliant upon God providing what you need. You need to be, in fact, As Jesus says in chapter 5 of Matthew, poor in spirit. Instead, those who are humble, poor in spirit, those are desperately reliant upon Jesus instead of money because they don't have any. And Jesus established that eternal life comes from complete reliance upon God. That's the history. You follow me now. This is what James's first century Jewish Christian readers would have gone to. Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, the poor in spirit inherit, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not earth, and he's ripping on the Sadducees. All right, theology, you ready? We're going to talk about the poor and the rich. This is a preview, James chapter 1, 9 through 11, is a quick footnote preview of chapter 5 that we will study near the end of our series. It's about the fleeting nature of money and the danger of self-reliance that it can birth provides a stark contrast between earthly hope and the eternal hope found in the gospel. His preview provides an easy-to-remember contrast between this temporary earthly kingdom 
and God's eternal one. It's a warning to prioritize the eternal over the earthly, to prioritize humility over reliance on yourself and putting God before status and wealth. First thing I want you to see is this true heat, which is another word for trials, to describe the true value of money and earthly status. Withering grass is throughout scripture. Did you know that? It's like in dozens of places as a metaphor for the temporary nature of anything earthly that man can do. Psalm 103, verse 15 and 16, look at this. As for man, his days are like grass. Sounds familiar. Doesn't it look just like James? He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it's gone. Its place knows it no more. This is the Greek word for wither. It's actually apolomai. It means to be fully destroyed. So dry grass was used as like a kindling for fires and stoves, and it would be burned up, and it had usefulness, but it burned up quickly, depleted. For those who have their hope in money and self-reliance, they will perish with their money. They will never stand the test, the heat, the trials. It's a warning about how money can make you less reliant upon Jesus for everything you need for life and righteousness. It means any benefits we enjoy from money, and there are some, are temporary, short-lived, and not, listen, not to be trusted. Because money lies to you every day. It lies to us about its true value and how it can make your life better. And James divides all who follow Jesus into two groups. There are two groups who follow Jesus. The poor who are exalted and the rich who are humiliated. Two words. Look at the first one. Hupsos. The Greek word, it means to be exalted or raised in rank or station. And the tense of this verb means you are passively exalted. You don't exalt yourself. You are poor in spirit and somebody or something lifts you up. You don't lift yourself up. It's passive. There's another Greek word, typenosis. It means you are made lower or rank. This also is passive. You are high and elevated, and something brings you down. So there is an outside force working in two types of people who follow Jesus. There's an outside source that is raising some up and humbling some down. So what does James mean when he says the humble can rejoice when they are exalted and the rich when they are humbled? I mean, shouldn't the rich be exalting over being blessed? And shouldn't the poor feel humiliated? You see this? This is called irony. Irony that James is using is a way of saying that the opposite of what you see is actually what's true. You see that? That's what irony is. And like a lot of Jewish wisdom literature, like all throughout Proverbs and other places, James uses this literary tool called irony to make a very important Memorable point. He says, this is what it looks like, but let me tell you what it really is. That's irony. <clears throat> he uses irony to get your attention. And once he has your attention, he creates an outcome that is unexpected. And because it's unexpected, it is memorable. And what's the irony here? It's how both the poor, this is beautiful, how both the poor and the rich 
must rejoice, but for completely opposite reasons. It's easy to understand why the poor rejoice when they're exalted, right? They know their exaltation is grace and mercy, correct? But the rich should be joyful over something like humiliation. This doesn't make sense, right? Well, here's the irony. Ready? If you're rich and God is calling you to salvation, your eyes are open to the foolishness of hoping in things like withering grass through humiliation. The humiliation exposes how your hope in withering grass has created a mirage of self-reliance. Therefore, the rich or the exalted rejoice in their humiliation because it has made them like the poor in spirit. Do you see that? The humiliation of the rich has made them poor in spirit, fully reliant upon Jesus. And now watch this. When the poor are elevated and the rich are humiliated, you see how they end up in the same place? Humiliation has made the rich poor, poor in spirit who have been exalted. Now what happens to the rich? They are poor in spirit. They also inherit the earth. That's why the rich can rejoice in their humiliation. Through faith, this is beautiful, here's the irony, both the poor and the rich become fully reliant on Jesus, where? At the foot of the cross. That's the irony. This is why James will teach us later that God does not have social classes in the kingdom like the world does. There's no first-class Christian and coach class, Christian. <laughs> this is the ironic, unexpected outcome of the gospel. This is the ironic, unexpected outcome that Jesus wants all of you to remember. It is this, that everyone enters the kingdom the exact same way. The poor and the rich both rejoice and how Jesus used opposite means to bring them to full reliance at the cross. The poor and the rich both rejoice how God used these circumstances to bring them to total reliance upon Jesus. The poor and the rich both rejoice over how God has made them all sons and daughters of God at the cross. And money, whether you have none or have a lot, had zero to do with it. So that's the theology. Pretty cool stuff, right? Personal section. What about us? What are we supposed to do? The gospel is better than grass. Yes, even that kind. I saw you libertarians out there. This is the sermon preview this week. Do you hope in withering grass more than you do the word of God? Let me ask that question again. Do you hope in withering grass more than you do the word of God? So, so considering what I just laid out for you, the theology here, can you see how strange it might sound to God when his children think money is a blessing? God's like, no. This is more, by the way, this is more than just about money. It's about the difference between a spirit of poverty and a spirit of arrogance and self-reliance. 
So James says there's two people, right? The poor in spirit and the rich in spirit. And Peter later clarified that. Remember, James was one of the first books written in the New Testament. Later, Peter in his letters, in his first epistle, 1 Peter, he clarifies what it's about. It's about where your hope lies. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24 and 25. For all flesh is like grass. There we go again. Isn't it amazing how it just keeps coming up? All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers. Hmm. And the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. The word is the good news that was preached to you. Do you see how this is all? The scripture is so cool, isn't it? The rich in spirit put their hope in withering grass. The poor in spirit hope and trust in the word of God, which is the gospel, the cross. Question, are you today hoping in withering grass at all? Grass that will be scorched and burned? Wouldn't you like to know if that's you today? Well, I have a list. <laughs> first, if your first focus every day is earthly success or elevated status or reputation, your hope is in withering grass. If you rationalize moral compromise, big or small, for the sake of money or status, your hope is in withering grass. If you rely more on your own wisdom or wisdom from sources other than God's word, that's a deep one right there, isn't it? Your hope is in withering grass. If you are quick to reject correction or accountability, if you are resistant to being humbled, your hope is in withering grass. Simultaneously, if you find pleasure in humbling others, putting them down, putting them in their place, your hope is in withering grass. If you think you're a spiritual person who can worship God any way he wants, maybe even without his community, without his church, listen to me, that is withering grass. If you believe spiritually you are okay, and you're blind to your own total depravity, your hope is in withering grass. If you are reliant on a reputation for generosity or religious, pious lifestyle, that too is withering grass. Now that part is a little more complicated, right? Since followers of Jesus are taught to be generous and live righteously, right? So that, okay, I think so, but Joe, can you help me here? Yes, I can. Being generous and pious, listen to me, being generous and pious does not make you righteous. Do you follow me? But you can see how they can make you self-righteous, self-reliant. See, this becomes another hidden, ironic truth for anyone unable to recognize how desperately they need the cross. In fact, this truth right here, this ironic truth, is very bad news for the self-reliant philanthropists. It's very bad news for the self-reliant volunteers, the activists, the woke, and the patriots. Yes, both. It's very bad news for the religious zealots. It's bad news for anyone who believes they have everything they need to be spiritual or to be righteous on their own. 
like my once beautiful, now daily withering lawn. <laughs> Money and the status it provides you are not worthy of your hope. If you are not desperately, daily reliant on the work of Jesus on the cross, your hope is in withering grass. So, wouldn't it be great to know if faith has switched your hope from withering grass to God's word? Would it? Well, I have a list. <laughs> First of all, if you're fully aware of your own depravity, your desperate need of grace, and need for mercy from God, your hope is not in withering grass, it's in God's word. Okay, so what would that look like, right? Thankfully, Paul describes it perfectly for us, this constant tension that we have between understanding our depravity and wanting to be righteous. He describes it in a beautiful, succinct way. Romans chapter 7, verse 19 to 20. For I do not, for I do, not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Can anybody relate? Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Wow. Amen. Can you relate? Yeah. Well, then your hope might be in the living word of God. <laughs> Being aware of your own depravity is supernatural. It's not normal. It's the result of the gift of faith. If you are fully reliant upon the work of Jesus on the cross, your hope is in the eternal word of God and not withering grass. If you are not afraid, listen, if you are not afraid to be corrected, humbled, held accountable, your hope is in the eternal word of God. If you desire to be more like Jesus each day, more than you desire a great lawn, your hope is in the eternal word of God. If you value prayer, God's word, and precious fellowship and community with his people more than wealth or social status, your hope is in the eternal word of God. Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9, look at this. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needed for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. Here's some more irony, isn't it? Every day, as followers of Jesus, we are facing this right here, this challenge. The question is this, does your faith keep you poor in spirit, fully reliant upon Jesus? Look, the stakes are high because the poor in spirit will be exalted while the rich in spirit are burned up with their grass. Are you poor in spirit, rejoicing that Jesus has exalted you? Are you rich in spirit, self-reliant, hoping in withering grass? Or maybe you were once rich in spirit, but now you rejoice because the gospel has humiliated you and made you poor in spirit and fully reliant upon the cross. Can you relate to that? So I put up this slide because I want you to see this picture as one of our graphics for the series. Whether you're rejoicing in, as like the exalted poor or you're rejoicing as humiliated rich. 
Here's what happens. Faith always keeps you poor in spirit. No matter how much money you have or don't have. This is another beautiful test of the ropes of your faith. Have you nailed them into the cliff with withering grass? Are your ropes held onto the cliff with withering grass that will fade in the sun? Or are you, get this, fully reliant upon Jesus to secure your ropes using the nails he took on the cross through his hands and his feet? The truth is, every follower of Jesus who's been given the gift of faith has been both rich and poor in spirit at different times. Right? I've been poor in spirit, desperate for Jesus to lift me up. And when he did, I will tell you this, I rejoiced. How about you? I've been rich in spirit, full of self-reliance, hoping in withering grass. Man, I rejoiced when I was rescued by the gift of humiliation. That's the symptom. That's the evidence of real faith, church. It keeps you poor in spirit, fully reliant upon Jesus, no matter what your earthly possessions or status may be. You're always rejoicing because you know for a fact, because of your depravity, without your Jesus, you are nothing more than withering grass. Only children of God can understand this truth. Only children of God can see the irony of this precious truth. Do you? If you're struggling to understand it, and you're concerned whether or not you understand it, that's a good sign that God is calling you to abandon withering grass. Hit me up this week. Love to talk. Dear Jesus, <clears throat> we confess to you that left to our own devices, we will always gravitate toward withering grass. But Lord, we're thankful by the gift of faith through the Holy Spirit and through the gospel, you reveal withering grass and you make us run to the foot of the cross. Lord, I pray for those here this morning who are poor in spirit, who need to be exalted. Lord, lift them up. I pray for the rich in spirit who are here today who need to be humiliated. Lord, bring them back to the foot of the cross. Lord, we're thankful that through that process, you allow us as a church family to meet together right there at the same spot, right there at the cross, through the word of the gospel. Lord, help us to make sure that the ropes of our faith aren't hammered into the cliff with things that will fade and burn, but through the nails that you took through your